welcome to the podcast for ballerinas, adult ballerinas, parents of ballerinas, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Georgia Canning, also known as the Balanced Ballerina, and it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet. Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. Hello, BB community. Today, I have a solo episode for you that's based off one of my most recent blog posts about starting your point journey. It's a must listen for parents of ballerinas that are about to start point. And it's also a great listen if you've already begun point and you're finding the journey just a little bit different to what you maybe expected or frustrated because your point journey doesn't look like the girl next to you. But first, we are going to dive into three news headlines because last time I did that on a solo episode, I actually had so much lovely feedback about the news section um, with interest for me to do it again. So I've picked three uh, news headlines from the dance world that we will explore further in a second. But before I do that, I'm so excited to let everybody know that I am running the very first Balanced Ballerinas Adults Only Classical Ballet Retreat. I have done a tween balanced ballerinas retreat before, which was completely sold out. And I am just trying to work out some dates of when to do another one for the tweens um, and possibly teens as well. Um, But this one is for the adults only, which was um, requested when I issued the information about the tween retreat last year, I had all the adults going, but what about us? So this one is for you. Between the 13th and 14th of September this year, the adults only retreat is basically the perfect excuse to escape and really just focus on your mind, body and spirit in one of the most beautiful places in the world, Byron Bay. The retreat includes daily ballet classes um, with myself, body conditioning, a bit of floor bar and repertoire from famous ballets. So the class schedule is really designed to allow everyone time to go for a beach walk in the morning before ballet. And on the Friday evening, we're all going to enjoy dinner with like-minded adult ballet lovers um, on that Friday evening. So this is one really special weekend away. The retreat is ideal for someone who has been taking ballet classes semi-regularly and has a good grasp on the basics of classical ballet. If you'd like to join, but you're not sure whether you would be up to it technique wise, just shoot me a message um, with your experience and and I will be able to uh, point you in the right direction. The retreat does have strictly limited bookings. Um, It's already about half booked. So there's a few spaces left. I just want to make sure that all the participants receive one-on-one treatment 
and assistance with their study and practice of classical ballet. So that's why it's going to be strictly limited. Um, I also, the retreat includes, I'll give you a list of inclusions. So it includes the welcome dinner at Azure Bar and Grill, which is located at Elements Resort. This is on the Friday and Elements Resort is five minutes from the studio that we'll be dancing in. Um, and it also includes a light lunch and snacks on both days, the Friday and Saturday. Um, it also includes, so three hours of ballet floor bar body conditioning and repertoire, as I mentioned before, each day. And it includes half an hour of guided yoga and meditation practice each day. And the classes will run from 11 till 3 p.m. on Friday and 12 till 4 p.m. on the Saturday. And you'll also receive a Balanced Ballerina's eco-friendly tote bag. Um, all that's required is a 50% deposit to be able to um, join the retreat and save your spot. I am so looking forward to this weekend. You have no idea. Um, and grab a buddy, grab your ballet buddy and say, let's go. Let's spoil ourselves for the weekend. Um, there's no time like the present. Let's look after ourselves. Book some nice accommodation. I also have on the Balanced Ballerinas blog links to two different accommodation options that are giving 10% off for any Balanced Ballerinas who book in. So I hope you can join me um, on the 13th and 14th of September at this very special weekend away. Now, shall we get on to some news? My first piece of news that I want to cover is David McAllister set to retire after the 2020 season of the Australian Ballet. So the Sydney Morning Herald has reported that after two decades as artistic director, David McAllister will be stepping down from the role at the end of 2020. The announcement happened at the company's annual general meeting in May and McAllister is said to be quite relieved that the news is finally out there with the succession plan already underway. This makes me feel like they're possibly grooming someone who's ready for retirement to perhaps take over the role. But like most decisions of a similar nature, the new artistic director will probably be a total surprise. I personally always thought, um, along with many others in the industry, that Lee Shwing Sin, the artistic director of the Queensland Ballet, I always thought he might have his sights set on the role. However, in a recent interview, Lee told reporters that he's not interested in the role. But besides the excitement over a fresh face in the role, it's undeniable that David McAllister has had a remarkable career. It's extremely rare that an artistic director studied in the school attached to the company that he's a director of, let alone also had a successful dance career in the company as a company member. You see, David started at the Australian Ballet School before joining the company in 1983, where he was then promoted to principal artist six years later before he made the transition to artistic director. So I think by the time he retires, he would have been there like 40 years. That's incredible. In my eyes, this fact alone makes David McAllister just an absolute Australian icon in the dance world, responsible for shaping the ballet scene in probably more ways than we can even begin to imagine. 
Now, sticking with news from the Australian dance scene, my number two piece of news for you is Lee Shwingsing, who I also mentioned just before, and Meryl Tenkard have both been awarded an Order of Australia. Um, they were awarded this for a distinguished service to the performing arts. And as mentioned before, Lee is the artistic director of Queensland Ballet and has taken the company from strength to strength. See, Queensland Ballet holds a really special place in my heart as I spent every Tuesday afternoon training with the amazing Robin White, who was at the time, oh, it still is, but at the time the artistic director was Francois Klaus and she was his wife. And my personal coach, Paul Boyd, was at the time a company member with Queensland Ballet too. So I was always up there for workshops and classes and got most of my incredible training from Queensland Ballet as a young one. So the point of my story is that I've watched QB absolutely flourish and change under the directorship of Lee and I have a really special fondness for the company and the culture that they're building. So I just want to say congratulations, Lee. You know, amazing. Now, on to Meryl Tankard. What a woman. She's a dancer, actor, producer, choreographer, theatre director, and overall just innovation machine. Meryl has so much international and national acclaim. She started her dance education at the Australian Ballet School before joining the company. Meryl continued to dance all around the world with various European companies before settling back in Australia in Adelaide, where she became the director of Australian Dance Theatre. Now, Meryl has choreographed many works for the international Um, dance scene and her list of credits could honestly fill a novel so instead of listing them all what I'm actually going to do is direct you and recommend um, one of my favorite podcast interviews ever um, with someone from like not just my favorite from someone in the dance industry like this interview is one of my favorites of all time It's Meryl Tankard's interview on ABC's Conversations. It's just incredible. So congratulations to Meryl and congratulations to Lee on that exciting news. And finally, my third bit of news is from, well, is about Catherine Morgan. So if Catherine Morgan's name rings a bell, you're probably an adult ballerina. Catherine was a soloist with New York City Ballet, and she went through a really rough time, thyroid and health issues that resulted in Catherine starving herself to counteract the weight gain, and she started suffering from migraines really terribly. It all got a little bit too much and Catherine did take a long leave of absence to take care of her health from New York City Ballet. During her break, Catherine started a YouTube channel that especially adult ballerinas lapped up and they absolutely fell in love with. And then fast forward and Catherine was getting married and she looked super happy and content and it really didn't look like she was going to return to dance in a professional capacity. Then, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which way you look at it, Catherine went through an an absolutely devastating personal situation. Reading between the lines, I think her husband may have cheated on her, as Catherine says, herself she found out her marriage was a complete 
lie. Catherine went really quiet on social media and she retreated. And my God, I would too. But what she turned to during this incredibly dark time was ballet and her practice. And she quietly started training again. And it makes me so happy to share that Catherine is now back looking better than ever and is a soloist with Miami City Ballet. I love this story for two reasons. I've had ballet friends go through very dark times like Catherine. And as only a dancer will know, taking class and working through pain on the bar is probably one of the most cathartic and healing experiences. I just love that ballet is so healing. And secondly, wow to Catherine for being so talented that you can just disappear from the professional dance world, take care of yourself and then return stronger than ever before. Seriously, an absolute inspiration and in my opinion, a true balanced ballerina. So go Catherine. So that's what's on my radar at the moment, everyone. Um, Feel free to come discuss any of these topics in our private Balanced Ballerinas community group on Facebook. You can find us, uh, click to join, and I will be sure to accept you. So now on to today's topic. We're going to talk about point work, and we're going to talk about how the point journey is so different from person to person. Starting point work is an extremely exciting period for any young dancer or adult ballerina. However, there's just so many steps before slipping on that first pair of point shoes. And I thought it would be really helpful to give parents and students an insight into this next step from the ballet teacher's perspective, especially because students require our blessing before going anywhere near point shoes. First of all, one of the biggest points that I make with all my students is that point shoes are a privilege, they're a responsibility, and it's a rite of passage for a ballerina. Firstly, let me share my own point journey because I think that helps. When I was 12 years old, my ballet teacher told my entire class that they could go out and buy point shoes. Yes, it was as simple as that. And it didn't matter that we were all different ages or that our technique was at different stages. We were just told we can go get point shoes. Now, the problem with the start of my point journey is the fact that it really shouldn't have been as simple as that. Look, I do not blame my ballet teacher at all. She was wonderful. She was caring and she taught me really well. However, Our awareness and knowledge of safe dance practice and pre-point assessment these days is far greater and it's irresponsible to be honest and to put it simply, it's just incredibly irresponsible if teachers do not now use that knowledge. So when I came home and I told mum that I was allowed to purchase point shoes, she actually questioned the simplicity of this process. Mom actually did some of her own research and then asked for a second opinion from my private coach, who at the time was a member with Queensland Ballet. They both decided that I wouldn't go up onto point until six months after my peers at my local studio. Despite having a really beautiful arch, I've got, I'm really fortunate, I've got really nice feet, but my private coach wanted a little extra time to strengthen them. They were really flexible, but he felt like I needed a bit more strength in my feet. Now, whilst I respected my mom and his decision, 
I was furious at both of them because all I wanted to do was go on point with the rest of my peers. Everyone at my local ballet studio didn't seem to take the process as seriously as it should have been. And looking back, I'm so glad that I took my time to go on point. However, at the time, when you've got that peer pressure from other students around you and they're all excited and they've got their point shoes on and you're stuck at the bar doing the same exercises in your flat shoes, it's really disheartening. And I'm actually glad I went through that with retrospect because, and in hindsight, it it shaped me and made me stronger um, doing it that way. However, what my mum did, I guess, and still is, extremely uncommon. It's more likely that I come across parents who say to me, why can't my daughter go on point yet? Or you're holding her back and you're making her feel left out. And I've actually never had someone tell me she won't be going on point yet. But that's probably because I'm incredibly diligent, which you'll find out in a second, about the process now of going on to point. Um, But yeah, like I said, it's much more common for people to think that I'm being a bit of a witch and saying, no, you can't go on point yet and making them feel excluded. I'm not doing that at all. As a teacher, if you are holding a student back, it's a really big decision that we're making. We don't make that decision lightly because we completely understand the um, mental side of of that process and how it can really affect them. But just because an entire class is the acceptable age for point work, it doesn't mean they should all be allowed to go on point. For example, in my current 13 to 14 years group of ballet students, three out of the 15 are not on point. However, they're still participating in point class with their flat shoes on Um, to develop further strength and technique. Two of these students desperately want point shoes, but they're relatively new to ballet and I've asked them to attend the point class wearing flats and prove to me through hard work, consistency and dedication that, well, basically that they deserve the point shoes. When I feel they're ready and I've seen this consistency and hard work and dedication, I'll then send them off for a pre-point assessment where I'll liaise with the physiotherapist about the decision to go on point. The third student that's currently attending the class and not on point only attends ballet once a week, which in my rule book is not enough for point work. My students have to be doing at least two ballet classes a week plus a body conditioning class to even get a look in with point shoes. Now, this particular student, despite having quite exceptionally strong classical ballet technique, has no desire to actually wear point shoes. She simply wants to develop her foot strength with point exercises. So her point journey is actually a little bit different. Her point journey doesn't involve any point shoes at all. Side note, point exercises are fabulous for building strength and core stability, even if you never intend on wearing point shoes. I have many adults who do my adult beginner point class without point shoes to build important strength around the foot and ankle, and all of this prevents injury. So like I said, everyone's point journey is personal and unique. 
as a teacher, look, it's very difficult decision to hold students back, especially because such a choice can have such a mental impact on their confidence and motivation within the class setting. Like I said earlier, I don't hold students back to punish them. I'm not a witch. I hold students back to ensure they don't hurt themselves. After all, you only get one set of feet and you don't want to damage them. All teachers are different. And thoughts about when a student should start point work varies from studio to studio. And even what's acceptable in one country might not be acceptable in another. For example, there are some countries that start girls on point as early as seven and eight years of age, which to me is just insane. And this is unheard of and kind of wildly unacceptable in Australia. My personal belief is that students who attend a local recreational studio... I'll make that clear. So I'm talking about students who attend just a local recreational studio, not a full-time program, should not start point work until they are at least 12 years of age, preferably 13. And this is the most common train of thought amongst teachers in Australia and the UK. The exact age that a student can start point work is really a very tricky one because Sometimes a student falls through the cracks, meaning her entire class is about to turn 13 years old, but the student is only 11 because she's rather advanced, so she was put up a level. So in this case, I allow them to start their point journey with their peers with lots of ifs. Okay, and they are, if they've passed their pre-point assessment with a professional, if they have fantastic technique, if they have enough strength and core stability, and if they are responsible and patient. For example, I may let them wear their shoes at the bar, but when the other students are allowed to come into the center, they have to stay at the bar. So they have to just be really patient. Again, you can see how this process is very personalized and it should not be approached with a one-size-fits-all kind of model. Like I said, patience is absolutely imperative for point work. A point class can be incredibly frustrating for students who are struggling with the immense amount of strength that point work requires. For example, during a point class, I will keep the weaker students at the bar while slowly introducing stronger students to center exercises. This division is almost unavoidable because you see, you want to challenge and keep your stronger students moving forward whilst also ensuring the safety and continual progress of the weaker students. Now, let me clear this up. By describing each group as stronger and weaker, I am not saying that one group has poor technique and the other has excellent excelling technique. Sometimes a student simply presents absolutely stunning classical technique in their flats. They've got amazing legs, feet and artistry. But you pop a pair of point shoes on them and they struggle to control a simple rise due to that incredible flexibility in their feet. In fact, I never use these terms weaker or stronger during a class as I'm highly sensitive to the students' feelings about their performance in in class. So I'm only using these words in the context of today's discussion. As a student... It can be incredibly disheartening watching your peers in the center whilst you're doing rises and releves at the bar. But with patience 
comes, you know, the desired outcome, strong technique that will enable the student to perform more complex movement in the future safely. And I'm sure all teachers will agree with me on that one. Lack of progress ultimately falls on the student when it comes to point work. The reason I say this is because during the week, a teacher only has a limited amount of time with their students. Now, this is at odds with point work, which requires repetition, consistency, and persistence. If you were to attend a full-time school like the Australian Ballet School or the Queensland Ballet's um, Advanced Education Program, they're doing a lot of point work and probably enough. They don't need to do extra at home. But if you are at a local studio or you're an adult ballerina and you do point once a week, your teacher will often set homework during the term for students to complete at home. This can be as simple as walking around the house in your point shoes, this, you know, to become familiar with the feeling and mold the shoe or more complex homework. Like, for example, I have a pre-point exercise video on my YouTube channel that I like the students to do in their bare feet and then put their point shoes on and repeat it again in their point shoes. It's always obvious who has done their homework and the reward is progress. To be honest, those students who are getting increasingly frustrated about not being able to leave the bar and don't do their homework only have themselves to blame. I'll tell these students that I cannot come home with them and I cannot force them to do the extra work. They have to do it themselves. Motivation has to come from within. Otherwise, they mustn't want it that much and aren't allowed to get upset over not progressing further. As I mentioned at the very start, point shoes are a privilege and they're a responsibility. The only time a lack of progress does not fall on the student, in my opinion, is if they're just unfortunately anatomically not built for point work. Unfortunately, there are some students whose hips, legs and or foot structure, for example, flat feet, do not allow them to progress much further than bar exercises. There is nothing I can do about it. There is nothing the student can do about it. Even the best physios and the best coaches, there's nothing they can do about it. And this can be incredibly unfortunate. However, it is a hard fact, much like, I don't know, a tennis player with short legs or a jockey who's too tall. There's simply just not much you can do about it. (laughs) Now, let's talk pre-point assessments. So the combination of strong classical ballet technique and anatomical knowledge becomes increasingly more important when students begin point work. I used to make pre-point assessments optional for students. Mainly the reason I did that was because I didn't want parents to fork out the extra money for pre-point assessments or go to the extra hassle. Then I realized that This is actually a really important process that needs to be adhered to. And so nowadays, I make them absolutely mandatory for all students. A pre-point assessment can take place with a physiotherapist or a chiropractor um, or someone that is extremely trustworthy and preferably someone who 
um, is in that field that has dance experience. That's always a good one to find. Most teachers have one particular person or a place they like to send students. And I especially like the clinics who send me a report. A professional who performs these pre-point assessments will clearly detail any weak spots and give you exercises to strengthen them. They will also give you the green light or decide a follow-up appointment is necessary before any point work commences. And if they're extra good, what they'll do is they will send your teacher the report with the exercises that you need to do. So your teacher can keep checking in with you and say, hey, have you done your exercises or let's incorporate these into class or work, um, working together and working collaboratively is at the end of the day, always the best way. Now, if you're starting your point journey, you need to remember that the words patience and persistence are going to come up often. The allure of pretty point shoes, look, it just quickly disappears within five minutes during your first point class. But if you understand that elevating your craft to the next level requires real work, then you'll be prepared. If you feel like you're behind everyone and your teacher is not letting you off the bar, trust them and trust the process. Use this feeling as fuel to practice and to do your homework. I recommend keeping a dance journal and writing down all the strengths followed by a plan of attack to tackle your weaknesses. Guys, no one said this was going to be easy and to be honest, nor should it be easy. I'm constantly updating my rules and regulations around point work and I'm constantly learning, researching and exploring different exercises inspired by the latest information to teach point work at a high standard. That's absolutely paramount to me. And it's very easy to spot a teacher who does this and one who doesn't. If you suspect your teacher isn't as passionate about the safety and well-being of students, then to be honest, I probably wouldn't start point work with them. I'd either stay happy practicing in flat shoes or find a teacher with an enthusiasm for quality teaching. Best of luck, ballerinas, on your point journey. And don't be afraid to reach out and connect in the Balanced Ballerinas private Facebook group. As I mentioned earlier, just find us on Facebook, click to join and I'll be sure to accept you. Um, It's full of fellow parents and students. And I'm sure if you have a question, many people will have an answer and I can jump on an answer too. And I'm sure if you have a question that many other people have the exact same question. So it's good to share it around. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this solo episode today. Make sure you hit subscribe so that you receive your new Balanced Ballerinas episode every fortnight. And as I mentioned before, if you would love to join the um, adults only classical ballet retreat in Byron Bay on the 13th and 14th of September with myself and other like-minded adult ballerinas, I would love to have you. You do not have to go to my studio at all to join. You can um, be from wherever. I would love to see you there. Have a great week, everybody.